0: Welcome to We Went Fast, episode number 18. Be sure to get yourself on the list at wewentfast.com subscribe so you know when new shows come out. You can also get free stickers for joining. Wewentfast.com slash subscribe to find out how. Now this show is a little different from the others I've done. Here's an important disclaimer on this story. I didn't write it. A man named Terry Pratt did. He wrote an entire book about the 1972 World Motocross Championships, and the chapters are broken into the individual rounds of the series, which detail his witty observations from the events, which he attended as a reporter on a very long European vacation. I'm going to read the book's foreword, and chapter one, which is the 250cc Grand Prix of Spain. If you want to know more about Terry Pratt, after you finish this episode go back and listen to episode number nine, The Curious Life of Terry Pratt. That's a story I wrote back in 2019 on this amazing unsung hero in the motorcycle industry. When I'm asked which of my stories are my favorites, I always point to that one. You can find the written version on wewentfast.com. Search Terry Pratt. If you like this story and want to see more, I sell the book at wewentfast.com/shop. It's only 40 bucks, the same price Terry sold it for in 2007 when it was first published. Grand Prix Motocross: The 1972 World Championship Season is an incredible book and a must-own for all moto collectors. When Pratt died in 2012, the book was thought to be gone forever and copies of it sold well into the triple digits on eBay. But then I found the unsold stock sitting in a warehouse in the desert. It's available at wewentfast.com slash shop now, but only while supplies last. We won't reprint it. It makes a great gift for anyone in your life who loves motocross history. It's been an honor to finish Terry's work of preserving motocross history. Here's an excerpt from Grand Prix Motocross the 1972 World Championship season. And I apologize in advance if I butcher any of the names. Forward Consider the many ways that the 1972 Grand Prix season marked a turning point in motocross history. The 1972 Grand Prix machines, even the hand-built works bikes, used suspensions that provided about four inches of rear wheel travel and about seven inches at the front. This was the last year that the Grand Prix bikes would meet what are now vintage motocross requirements. In the following year, the single shock Yamaha won the 250cc world championship. And in the 500cc class, Roger DeCoster Suzuki was modified mid-season to successfully compete with the longer-travel Mako. After 1972, the development of long-travel motocross machines was more revolution than evolution. The 1972 Grand Prix machines were free of the minimum weight restrictions that were imposed by the FIM in the following year. After 1972, a 500-class machine had to weigh in at 209 pounds or more and the minimum for a 250-class bike was about 194 pounds. This meant that titanium chassis components and other weight-saving measures could be phased out and that margins of safety would presumably increase. The factory 250cc Suzuki's, ridden by Joël Robert and Sylvain Gabor, were probably the lightest 1972 Grand Prix bikes but the speculation was that the works bikes from Husqvarna, KTM, and Yamaha, and even CZ had to add weight as much as 15 pounds or more to pass tech inspection after 1972. Even Grand Prix point scoring changed after 1972. This was the final year that world championship points were awarded on a rider's overall position after both motos. This meant that a rider could win the first moto and still go home with reduced points, or even zero points depending on his performance in the second moto. Starting in 1973, Grand Prix points were awarded moto by moto. There were career milestones too. The year 1972 was the final full season for East Germany's Paul Friedrichs, who had dominated the 500 class with world championships in 1966, 67, and 68. In 1972, Belgian Joël Robert won his sixth and final 250 World Championship by winning six of the seven Grands Prix in which he finished. Plagued by injury and riding a less dominant machine in 1973, Robert rode the full season but did not win a Grand Prix. The reports included here are presented as they were written at the time of the event. The stories have been edited to a higher standard, but no attempt has been made to update the narrative with historical perspective. The stories are based on what we thought we knew at the time, and they are not embellished by facts and developments that have become known since then. The photos speak for themselves. Thank you to the many friends and associates who have encouraged me toward the completion of this book. Nagging is a form of encouragement. But most of all, thank you to Mom and Dad and Vern and Stella for making the 1972 European tour possible. Terry Pratt. Opening day, Sabadell, Terraza, Spain, April 9th, 1972. For the manufacturer's teams that compete in the world championship motocross every year, the Grand Primo Espana near Barcelona marks the end of the long European winter. When the Swedish riders have put away their cross-country skis and the Russians have stored their lawn coats and mothballs, the riders and mechanics convoy their vans to the coast of Spain to greet the spring sun and the first Grand Prix of the season. Mechanics are eager to see what engineering miracles the opposition has performed in their shops during the winter and the riders try to judge how hard their competition has been training through the off-season. The competition shops had been busy. Some new and interesting machinery was unveiled at Barcelona this spring. Suzuki, the defending world champion, arrived with bikes that showed only minor refinements over last year's models. There were some frame and suspension changes, but Suzuki had swept the championship in 1971, and the bike was already well developed. Two brand new machines apiece were provided for the Suzuki's works riders, world champion Joël Robert, and another Belgian, Sylvan Gabor's. Robert won the Spanish Grand Prix last year, and then went on to win seven more Grands Prix to break the long-standing jinx that whoever won the first GP wouldn't be world champion at the end of the season. Gabor's who is a Flemish Belgian from the northern part of that country? Suffered a serious knee injury in 1971, but after training extensively during the winter, he came to Spain determined to give Robert a fight for the title. Husqvarna rolled out three very special lightweight 250s for its top team riders, Arn Kring, Bent Arn Bon, and Uno Palm. The bikes have American-made titanium frames, alloy tanks six-speed gearboxes, and a trimmed-down engine that is barely recognizable as a Husky. Gaston Rahir, a Belgian who rode for CZ in last year's Trans AMA series, now has a contract with Husky, and he chose to ride a more conventional five-speed with special light components. Ollie Peterson, the Swedish rider who was instrumental in the development of the Suzuki GP machine, came to Spain with a hand-built Kawasaki, that the Japanese factory had whipped together in about two months' time. During one of the morning practice sessions, when the Japanese and the Swedes were preparing their machines with racks of shiny tools and organized bins full of spares, the Russian riders and Czechoslovakian mechanics of the CZ team rolled into the pits. Their battleship gray vehicles were still grimy from the arduous trip across Eastern Europe and behind the doors was a tangle of spare wheels, engines, and road-weary riders. At first glance, their racing machines looked like worn-out veterans that had belonged to a junior rider on unemployment. Actually, the CZs had special frames and lightened engines, and some were five-speed models, but they looked like hell. The bulky hand-built alloy gas tanks were feather-light, but they gave the bikes an aura of cobbiness. One of the mechanics had a suitcase stuffed with coarse black tools, but later one of the riders was making adjustments on a shift lever with a rock, and it was the wrong-sized rock. But the Cheezeds ran, and the Russians rode them like the wind across the steps. Some people in the pits knew the Russians were fast, but when they came out for practice in greasy sweatshirts and baggy leathers and lapped the course with times equal to the Suzuki's and Huskies their threat was established. The course was laid out on both sides of a small valley, so it had lots of uphills and downhills, including one breathtaking drop-off where the bravest riders jumped 20 feet over the edge and then gassed it down a steep hill as tall as a two-story building. During practice, Joël Robert flashed around the course, rapidly wagging the bike back and forth in midair or carrying the front wheel the length of the main straight In contrast, Sylvain Gaborz rode slowly through each section, looking carefully at every bump and hollow. From their first lap, the Russians were slamming into the banks and riding sideways about half the time. The Russians go fast with brute strength and daring, while Gaborz rides with intellect. But Robert is the champion, and he lets no one forget it. He tears around the track effortlessly with a style and flair that almost disguises his blinding speed. Robert is the fastest, but for a hoot and a holler, the Russians are more fun to watch. Through two days of practice, the track surface was hard and dusty. A little overnight shower after practice on Friday had helped the dust problems, so the dark clouds on the horizon Saturday evening looked almost beneficial. But it was still raining Sunday morning, and it continued to drizzle through the preliminary support races. By the time the international riders ventured out from their vans and tents to start the introduction ceremonies, the pretty flag girls had to slosh through ankle-deep puddles, and it was still raining. When the starting barrier triggered 40 steaming motorcycles into action, small rivers of orange mud were gouging channels across the course, but Robert Suzuki cut through the mire like a knife, and he was clearly in the lead going into the first turn. When the leaders came back in sight after the first lap, two Russians, Gennady Moiseyev and Pavel Rulev, were in second and third and growling after Robert like a hungry Siberian wolf. Ali Peterson had the Kawasaki in fourth place, ahead of Gaston Rayer and Uno Palm. Gaborz lay in seventh place, but he was on the move, and one by one he charged past Palm, Rahir, and Peterson. At this point, it was a three-man race. Robert held the lead, but the Russians weren't giving an inch. Gabor's was solidly in fourth, but Peterson dropped back with the watered-out engine, and Palm bailed off briefly. Alexei Kibarin, another Russian, was moving up. Halfway through the race, Roulev's engine went sour, and Gaborz took over third place. The work Suzuki rider kept the gas on and slipped past Moiseyev into second place behind Robert. Now the Suzuki's were first and second, with Moiseyev and Rahir third and fourth. Gaborz made it clear that Robert was still under pressure and cut the gap down to seven seconds before the checkered flag fell. After 40 minutes in the mud, Alexey Kiburain picked up fifth place on a CZ, with a silver-painted high pipe that looked like it wouldn't finish a two-lap sprint around the parking lot. Between races, everyone tried to clean the mud out of eyes, carburetors, and cameras. There was a pause in the pit work while everyone took shelter from a brief but intense hailstorm. The mounted Spanish soldiers just turned their horses' haunches to the wind and hunched under their ponchos. Out on the course, Cornermen put down their flags and moved some hay bales to cover a dangerous buried cable that had been exposed by churning knobbies. Gaston Rayer got the whole shot in the second start, and he rounded the first turn ahead of Gabor's, Uno Palm, and Joël Robert, who doesn't like to be anywhere but first. Robert swept around Palm and charged past Gabor's, but just as he drew close to the leading husky rider, Rahir clipped a hay bale that had been moved between races and went sprawling on his back in the infield. Robert smacked the fallen bike and did a flying W over the handlebars. Robert got up in a rage and chased Rahir into the crowd where he popped him in the mouth before they were separated by the turn marshals. Gaston started Joël's bike for him and then rejoined the fray while Robert rode sullenly back to the pits using his left hand on the throttle. The first lap melodrama left Gabor's in the lead, with Uno Palm second, ahead of Spanish national champion Jorge Capape on a bull taco and Englishman Jimmy Erd on a husky. Next came two wild Russians, Vladimir Kavanov and Alexei Kibirine. The Ruskies blasted past Capape on the second lap, and after a few minutes, the race settled into a pattern with Gabor's well in command and Palm defending against Kibberine. Gabor's was all business, but Palm enjoyed showing off for the Swedish cameraman by doing fourth-gear broadslides down the front straight. By now, Kibberine had enough muck in his eyes to plaster a wall, but he continued to race, and he finished just ahead of Gaston Rahir, who had picked himself up and motored into fourth place. And that kind of perseverance paid off because after both motos, Kiburain and Rahir were scored second and third overall behind Gabor's. When the clock finally ran out in the season's first Grand Prix, only eight machines were still thrashing through the mud. Just finishing the 240-minute motos in the tiring mire and blinding spray was a challenge for even the world's best. But the victory was Sylvain Gabor's, and he had earned it. Gaborz had won the opening round, and reigning world champion Joel Robert had failed to finish. When the champion spark plug girls gathered around Sylvan with flowers and kisses, it looked like he was well on his way toward fulfilling his ambition of being crowned world motocross champion. But one week later, at the Grand Prix of France, the specter of the Spanish jinx reappeared when a slower rider made an unexpected move into Gaborz's path during practice and his right ankle was broken in the ensuing crash. Robert won both motos of the French Grand Prix, with lusty but futile opposition from Pavel Roulev, Gennady Moiseyev, and Alexei Kibarine, who finished second, third, and fourth, respectively. Gaborz is expected to be off the track for at least five weeks, and unless one of the inconsistent Russians develops into a superstar, Joël Robert will walk into his sixth championship and the unlucky Sylvan Gabor's will have to wait yet another year. Thanks for listening. Finish reading this book at wewentfast.com slash shop. Help us continue to preserve motocross history by picking up a copy or buying a t-shirt or a hat and get on the newsletter list. Subscribers get free stickers, discounts, and they're the first to know about new products, stories, and podcasts. We went slash subscribe.